0: Welcome to the American Maritime Podcast. We're glad to have you aboard. I'm your host, Jennifer Carpenter, Vice President of the American Maritime Partnership and Chair of the AMP Offshore Wind Committee. Today, we are very pleased to have as our guest, Ed Washburn. Ed is Senior Vice President of Fleet Operations for Paisha Hawaii, which is part of the Pesha Group, a family-owned global logistics and transportation company. Welcome, Ed, and thank you for coming on the podcast.
1: Oh, Thank you, Jennifer. Thank you for having me.
0: Our pleasure. So let's start with an introduction to you and to Peisha Hawaii. When you meet someone who's not in the maritime or the logistics business, how do you describe your work and what Peisha does?
1: Yeah, well, um, the simple answer is we move stuff, and the more difficult the better. But the, the real answer is we're a family-run, family-owned and operated company uh, that really instills family values, which is the, probably the highlight of Pesha Hawaii. Um, We do operate uh, six vessels currently. Uh, We have three container ships, a Conroe and a Roro, uh, serving the uh, West Coast US mainland to Hawaii. Um, And we also have a container ship in reserve. Um, My role is I um, I manage vessel operations, uh, labor, fuel, um, crewing, uh, environmental health, regulatory, new construction, um, ESG, um, recruiting and pretty much everything to do with the vessels, Jennifer.
0: That is a lot. I probably should have asked what your role doesn't entail. So <laughs> tell us, tell us a little bit, how does the work that patient does affect and improve the life of an average person living in Hawaii?
1: Right. Well, you know, Hawaii is very unique as a, a an Island state and, um, 98% of the goods, uh, imported to Hawaii come by uh, ocean shipping. Uh, we play a big part in that. Um, and the really the, um, the intriguing part is the reliability of the goods that flow to Hawaii. Um, there was a lot in the last couple of years where we saw supply chain uh, disruptions, uh, immense price hikes. Um, and in this particular case, especially in the last two years, our schedule, reliability, and integrity has been uh, the best it's ever been. Um, the goods are on the shelf um, as planned. Um, there's no price hikes. They're all stable. Um, if we get a 3% GIR, we're, we're very happy. Um, and the um, the investment that the um, we've made in Hawaii keeps us in Hawaii delivering goods uh, and there's no opportunistic, um, no opportunistic uh, reasons to leave Hawaii and to go to the Pacific trade. Um, so what we, what makes the person's life better is we offer a very, very reliable service um, that's dedicated to the communities we serve, and uh, we don't take opportunistic um, trade routes uh, and and abandon Hawaii.
0: Oh, uh, that is great stuff. And I'm sure something that just so much more resonates with folks now, after our experience of the last couple of years, we we know what empty shelves look like now.
1: Yes, that's right. And, um, unique to Hawaii, Jennifer is, uh, be, because the Island is, is geographic with mountainous and there's not a lot of land. So there's not a lot of warehouses. Um, so the, the, uh, consumer and, and the retailers, um, rely on just in time service. Uh, so the goods really come from the ship right to the store. Um, and because of that, we need reliable uh, on time and, and really a fast service. So if there is no depots. Um, if the ship is late, the, the stores are lack those goods. So it's very important that the, the goods arrive on time and, and a reliable schedule.
0: Absolutely. So, Ed, you've been working in Maritime for 30 years in that time. I have too, so I'm not (laughs) saying you're old, okay? But in that time, we've seen a lot of changes in this industry. And I think sustainability is one of those areas that has been just particularly dynamic. Can you talk a little bit about how the industry's approach to sustainability has evolved over the years?
1: Oh sure, um, yeah. Thirty years seems like an awful long time. I haven't seen coal uh, propulsion, but uh, certainly um, oil, um, oil and steam, steam propelled ships. Um, when I started, actually, uh, my father's been in the industry for over sixty years. So as a toddler, I've been on the vessels um, basically my whole life, and, and made a career out of it. Um, but really um, getting out of extremely heavy fuel oil with no sulfur restrictions to a, a restricted sulfur uh, lighter oil has made a big difference. And now we see um, going to LMG um, and and actually I'll, I'll step back. So in the beginning of my career, almost all the Jones Act ships were uh, steam propulsion using heavy fuel. So um, if I look over 30 years, I do see a steam to diesel transition transition. Uh, And then now we see uh, really a diesel to um, alternative fuel transition and LNG being one of the important ones. Um, The, uh, we've seen scrubbers come along uh, and they've improved uh, particulate matter and um, sulfur. Um, We've seen uh, hydrogen coming, which is very, very exciting. Um, There is uh, some really cool, clean fuels that are, are, coming still in the infancy stage but um, I think at this point the uh, the push for sustainability is probably better than it's ever been and um, I th- I believe that the technology will will develop faster than ever for cleaner technologies and cleaner fuels and less emissions
0: It's really really an exciting and dynamic field. Why is sustainability such a priority for Paha ed?
1: Yeah, Jennifer. So, um, well, geographically, our headquarters are in Marin, California, and Honolulu, Hawaii. So, uh, that's really um, you know, there's a sense of pride in those two communities that um, of protecting the natural resource. Uh, it's been in the culture in both communities for a really long time, uh, and then inherently, um, it, it's it's a Pacer culture. Um, we do a lot for sustainability. We think the investment is worth it. Um, I've been an LNG advocate since the early 2000s. I think it's a a, a great stepping fuel. Um, and we um, have seen just great stuff in hull coatings, um, energy saving devices, and we've invested in all that. And then we do see the difference and um, we're proud of it. And we think it's the right thing to do. And, and the communities we serve also think uh, the same way. And, and we're happy to be able to invest in those technologies to help the communities.
0: Oh, that's fantastic. So you're really putting your money where your mouth is with some of these investments.
1: <laughs> yeah, we are. Yeah, it's a lot of money, Jennifer, but um, we think the investment's worth it.
0: It's fantastic. Let's shift gears a little bit and talk about people. I mean, people are really that the engine that makes this industry go, and recruiting and retaining and developing the maritime industry, the maritime workforce of the future, is is just critical not only to keeping vessels moving now, but to really making sure that we have what we need to power this industry in the future. And I know that PESHA Hawaii has been really a leader in the military to maritime program that connects U.S. military veterans with the maritime industry. Can you talk a little bit about that program and uh, what it's done, why it's been important for Pesha Hawaii.
1: Sure. We have um we have quite a, a few veterans that have worked uh working for us that have um come from military to maritime um and and our um actions in that is really going to the uh is outreach and and um and going to veteran centers and um and trying to assist also veterans in the seafarer side with um accrediting their sea time with the Navy, for instance, and um, fast-tracking licensing or or through the unlicensed unions. Um, We're working with the unions um, and there's always recruiting um, issues uh, for the U.S. merchant marine and um, the military is just a fantastic way to make that transfer. And we find uh, military personnel um, really fit in well with the hierarchical uh, type of um, atmosphere on a vessel. And so we uh, we promote it, and, and we like it, and, and everyone that we've got, every veteran's been a, a fantastic part of the team.
0: Oh, that's terrific. That's a real a real win-win. So, you know, one key to making sure that we have the maritime workforce we need for the future is really making sure that people from all walks of life, women, minorities, people from communities all across the country, A, know about our industry, and B, know about the opportunities that are available to them here and, and feel like they have a place. Can you tell us a little bit about what PASIA is doing to attract and retain diverse talent and 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 how that's working for your company.
1: Oh, sure, sure. So, well, um, one of the first things I think that's uh, most prominent for me is um, I'm on the board of directors for Cal Maritime uh, Foundation, and and that issue is brought up at every meeting. And we, um, you know, we attend the school fairs, um, and and we promote diversity while we're there. We do diversity uh, outreach in Oakland and L.A. when they have diversity fairs. Um, we work with the unions i'm a trustee on uh, engineers and a mates union uh, and that is a high priority subject uh, and we participate and um, do everything we can to promote diversity and maybe the, one of the biggest um, differentiator is i think on board our vessels um, we we have a very diverse group uh, we certainly promote diversity and i think there's a, a comfort level where um, diversity kind of comes to us uh, because of that. Um, Nice feeling on board that uh, of acceptance.
0: Oh, that's terrific! So people really kind of see themselves reflected in your vessel workforce and know that they're going to have a home there.
1: Yes, we've uh, have have had just great reports um, from people on board, and especially uh, cadets, and um, which is a great place to start diversity. Um, We have, um, we were one of the first companies to um, enroll and embark and be approved. Um, We're proud of that. Uh, And we think the culture on board is is good. I think once we get to about 20% of women and minority, we won't even be thinking about it anymore, but we're working to get there.
0: That's great.
1: On any given day in Washington, policy proposals are created, debated, and decimated by tens of thousands of people and organizations working behind the scenes. On 80 Proof Politics, a guest and I will visit a D.C. watering hole and distill the art of advocacy by pulling back the curtain a bit and taking a look at how they play their part in the sausage factory we call our federal government. So if you're at all interested in how the sausage is made, pull up a chair, grab a drink, and join us. After all, what goes better with sausage than a tall, cold one?
0: It would not be the American Maritime Podcast if we didn't talk about the Jones Act. So we're going to do that now. Um, From your perspective, Ed, why is the Jones Act important to American security, especially in the Pacific?
1: Yeah, so in the Pacific, um, really the security there is the security of the flow of goods, um, as we discussed with Hawaii. In Hawaii, there's uh, seven major Navy command stations that um, need to be supplied. Um, of course, in the inland waterways, we need to maintain the American seafarer. Uh, so we keep bad actors out. Um, and the uh, we do transport uh, quite a bit of military goods on our row row vessels. Um, and the um, it's just it's it's so important for the security. And as I had stated over this uh, time of pandemic and supply chain crisis, just the, the seafarers, the American seafarers, stood out like no other. And um, and we continue to serve the state of Hawaii as well as the other Jones Act carriers continue to serve Puerto Rico and Alaska, all the non-contiguous, um, and didn't uh, weren't opportunistic. Um, didn't kept stable pricing, kept the flow of goods going, uh, and really, I that would not have happened if it was an international fleet running there. Um, our fleet in the and all the um, Jones Act fleet I know from my sea land days with Puerto Rico and Alaska, um, the ships and the uh, the assets are particular to those um, states and possessions, and um, there's a tremendous amount of investment. Uh, that keeps um, keeps the flow of goods going. It it really um, makes it uh, an an effort uh, with investment that the goods are, are not interrupted, and they're not interrupted, and they're not overpriced, and they're stable, and everyone has milk on the on the shelves when they need it.
0: Yeah, here, here, here. I mean, for all of the challenges that we've endured uh, as a country over the last couple of years, it's it's pretty scary to think how much worse things could have been had we not had the Jones Act. Fortunately, right. we didn't have to find out.
1: That's right, and and unique, and and uh, most Jones Act uh, carriers uh, operate the same way, but uh, we really uh, own the supply chain from door to door, so we uh, own our own containers, we have our own chassis fleet, we own our own trucks, we um, we employ our own truck drivers, um, we have US built, US crewed ships, so we have uh, berthing um, availability, we have labor um, preference. Um, so uh, certainly when ships were waiting um, seven and eight weeks off of LA, we uh, basically skipped a line to keep the goods going to, the American people.
0: Uh, that is so well said. And I think something that a lot of Americans just don't realize that that uh, really domestic control of our supply chain gives us this degree of economic security that we just wouldn't have if we were dependent on foreign carriers.
1: I couldn't agree with you more.
0: Good stuff. So mm-hmm. from time to time, Jones Act critics pop up in Hawaii. What What would you say to them? What are they missing?
1: Well, uh, of course, they're missing the reliability. Um, they're missing the job creation. We have over four hundred employees in Hawaii. Um, they are missing the security, um, and they are, uh, and they're really missing um, the dedication. The American seafarers, who uh, really were heroes, and um, all through the pandemic, our seafarers, um, they. Uh, they give up a lot every day in normal times and uh, they rarely sacrificed and and lived uh, some difficult situations during the pandemic, but uh, operated flawlessly the whole time. Um, Never were without crew, never missed a sailing uh, and uh, our on time reliability rated within 10 minute intervals was over 96%. um, So we're really proud of that. And and it's hard for a critic to, counter that
0: yeah absolutely talk about essential workers you pretty much just defined it right there that's right so ed before we close out this episode of american maritime podcast is there anything that we didn't cover that you'd like to raise or anything you want to dig a little bit deeper on put a finer point on please go ahead
1: oh well thank you well i guess um you know I'm, i'm excited i'm honored to uh to really be at pace and do all the cool stuff we're doing. Um, we're developing our LNG bunkering infrastructure in LA, which is a big part of my job. Um, we are electrifying our terminals. We'll have a Wilmington terminal um, in Wilmington, California, which will be able to run two eight hour shifts without the electric grid. Um, and we'll, we have battery uh, storage and solar and wind and crane regeneration going in there. Um, that's really cool. We do have a proposal in for our new terminal in Hawaii to uh, basically do the same thing, be able to operate without the grid uh, using solar, wind and a natural gas generator and battery storage. Uh, we're working with MARAD and the PIDP on that. Uh, but uh, I just emphasize um, it's an exciting, uh, exciting time, exciting with the sustainability, with our new LNG powered chips coming. Um, it couldn't be in a better place. Thank
0: you. Oh, that is fantastic. Congratulations on that great work and, and good luck to you. I look forward to hearing more about it. Ed, thank you for sharing your insights with us today. It has been great having you on the podcast. We're going to wrap up here. I want to thank all of our listeners for tuning in and encourage you to share the podcast with friends and colleagues who would benefit from learning more about the great story that American Maritime has to tell. That's all for today. I'm your host, Jennifer Carpenter, signing off.